Sometimes you feel so alone and overwhelmed, you don't know where to turn. These days, it seems like there is no end to our problems. We invite you to connect with Silent Unity, the 24-hour prayer ministry where someone is waiting to pray with you right now. Since 1890, Silent Unity has always been there. No judgment or dogma, just someone affirming the best for you. Call 816-969-2000 today. You can also connect online at unityprayervigil.org. You're listening to Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Welcome to Open Heart Conversations, a place to meet, discover, and learn about different spiritual traditions by exploring their teachings, rituals, and music. Brought to you by the United Palace of Spiritual Arts in New York City, an all-inclusive community that cultivates the expansion of consciousness and the power of imagination. Here now is Spiritual Director, Reverend Heather Shea. I'm Heather Shea, Spiritual Director and CEO of the United Palace of Spiritual Arts, an all-inclusive spiritual artistry center in New York City. In this segment, we'll take a closer look at queer spirituality with Rabbi Amakai Lalavi, Reverend Alex Regan, and Bishop Allison D. N. Abrams. Explore and discover the intersection of faith and sexuality, and examine how being queer affects religious identity. Today's hosts are Reverend Dr. Jose Roman, and Reverend Todd Humphrey. Welcome. Remember that day when you realize that there is more to life than what you know. The colors grew bright as a kissed your Brought the highest highs and lowest lows And it was then when there was something left to And so I thought that a good way to start is basically instead of us uh, taking being the presumptuous ones and, and, and introducing each of you, I thought it'd be a really cool thing for you to take a few minutes and introduce yourselves and also take a few minutes to speak to what queer spirituality means to you. How would you define that topic, which is the topic of discussion today? We will begin with the bishop. Good afternoon. I'm Bishop Allison Abrams. I uh, just wanted to say that uh, I am a lesbian bishop uh, from the Baptist tradition. However, uh, with some uh, things that occurred in my life, I left the Baptist church and am now pastoring a non-denominational uh, church that is affiliated with a few denominations that are welcoming and affirming. Um, also, uh, have the wonderful privilege of covering 
some uh, ministries that are outreach ministries as a bishop. And so that uh, helps me with the work that I know God called me to do. When you talk about spirituality, I would say to me, that is my expression of my connection with God. And so when I look at queer spirituality, uh, I believe that, first of all, it helps me to say that this is not an oxymoron for me to be a Christian and to be authentic, to be LGBTQ, um, but also it helps others to see the God in me and to understand that God still dwells in me, God still uses me, and God is still blessing me. And so when you talk about queer spirituality, it's my expression of my connection with God, but also it gives others an opportunity to experience uh, what God is doing with me and through me as well. Thank you. I am uh, Reverend Alex Regan. I am a week, now six days away from being ordained as an interfaith minister um, here in New York City. And I'm also a trans man, and that's how I identify And I guess for me, I'm thinking about queer spirituality and what you said actually beforehand spoke to me. You know, for myself growing up in the very fundamentalist Christianity, I think for me, the queer spirituality is about learning to actually do what the hardest thing possible, which was to learn to love myself and to find a way that in the midst of that, to like find the unconditional love and compassion for myself and for even other people in my community, because that was really hard for me to come to um, well into my late 20s and even into my 30s. And as I'm in my 40s now, it feels a lot much, a lot easier to love myself and to love this part of me and to live it as an example out into the world and how I can blend these parts of me to um, help welcome other people and kind of even bring other people back to a fold of love and unconditional spirit um, that may have felt like they were left behind or left aside. Thank you. Uh, Good afternoon. My name is uh, Amichai Laulavi. I'm a rabbi here in New York City. And um, I identify as queer, as a queer man. I grew up in Israel in a very orthodox Jewish setting. And um, 50 years later, um, I was born two months uh, before Stonewall, but clearly was not involved in the riots. Um, I think that queer spirituality for me means a response to the rigid patriarchal religion that so many of us come from and are struggling with. Because inherently, for me, queer spirituality means that there is a spectrum. There is a rainbow of possibilities for what does it mean to identify as a human being in divine image. It means that self-love and love of other is unconditional as opposed to conditional. It means that we are not just invited, but you know, loudly encouraged to prioritize love over fear pride and humility over shame and somehow integrate body and soul in a holy way of intimacy and love that a lot of the monotheistic and western religions have grown to be suspicious of. So it's an invitation into capital L love that I think anybody and everybody that we know of, ourselves included, are yearning for. So we're in the middle of a paradigm shift, and the queer contribution to this shift is young, but enormous. The the word that was really sticking with me, even before um, Rabbi Amakai spoke, is the word of intimacy. Um, For me, queer spirituality is, is really rooted in 
this intimate desire to know the divine that was really kind of um, blocked from me from, from the childhood traditions that I experienced in Protestant, m- multiple different Protestant faiths, and um, to, to then reclaim that and, and reclaim that intimacy um, with knowing the divine and to reclaim that intimacy to see the divine in everyone I encounter. Um, including some of those faith leaders that, that you know, were pushing back a- against the belief that, that we as queer people were worthy of love. Introducing myself, I guess, as many of the folks here at United Palace know, I, uh, I'm a Latino kid from the South Bronx um, who very proudly identifies as a gay man. Um, and queer spirituality to me, I think, is a... Spirituality to me is about taking seriously my inner life. You know, particularly those parts of me that seek connection and purpose and meaning and even this strange thing called transcendence. Taking that very, very seriously and taking it seriously in other men and women. Queer spirituality is realizing that that inner life in me, as in my brothers and sisters in the community, is informed by my sexuality. It's informed by the struggle, the struggle for self-love, the struggle for personal dignity, um, the struggle for self-understanding. I remember being a a 10-year-old kid who had a massive crush on a guy called Stephen in my class, and not having the language to even understand what was happening, simply knowing that it was different and therefore something that was very secret that I could share with no one. That's where the struggle begins. And so part of queer spirituality is knowing that that kind of struggle and self-understanding informs my spirituality and informs my, in my, my inner life and informs who I am. And the second part of queer spirituality is my deep belief that those of us who are gay and lesbian, bisexual, transgender, queer, are in fact prophets in the spiritual world. We have a prophetic role to play. We are inviting the world to realize that this, our bodies, our flesh, is holy and sacred. This is not something to be discarded and demeaned and devalued. It is something to be embraced and celebrated and loved and adored. That this is a temple of God. And it is true of me and you and every single person here. And that invitation of the union of, if you will, um, the body and the spirit, I think is inherent in the queer spiritual experience. And it's part of our gift potentially to the rest of the world. So, one of the things that Todd and I, when we were thinking about this discussion, wanted to do is this open heart conversations is usually very much I ask questions and people answer. This is a dialogue. Um, I have, uh, none of us brings more than any other person here. So, the questions and answers are free flowing. Everybody has a right to ask a question. Because I am the host, I'm going to ask one more and and then letting it go, and that is, how does queerness inform your spirituality? And how does spirituality inform your queerness? How do these two elements of who you are express themselves in your life? 
so many ways. I, uh, in my late 20s, um, got involved in education and theater as a way to think about ritual and step away from the religious tradition I grew up with and the rabbinic family I come from to do spirit in another way, in a queer way, in an artsy way, in an irreverent way, in a challenge and question reality way. That led me to a bunch of experiments in mythology and ritual and other traditions, um, learning about the two-spirit tradition of our indigenous ancestors. And um, it led me into meeting the radical fairies that, for those of us who might not know, is a queer subculture of quite large proportions globally that is about this intersection of spirituality and pagan and indigenous and, and openly sexual, but really connected to presence. And through my ex exposure and time with the fairies, I developed a drag persona um, who became uh, quite popular and um, quickly became my career. Um, Hadassah um, is a widow of six rabbis, a Holocaust survivor, and a spiritual teacher. And for about six years in the early 2000s, um, had successful gigs all over the world and became quite prominent. And what happened was when I would become Hadassah and the wig would go on and the heels would go on, I'm loving your heels and she would love them too, um, <laughs> something happened on stage. It wasn't exactly me. And for the audience who were at a drag show where they were invited to light the Sabbath candles or talk about Kabbalah or the spirit, people weren't, is this for real or is this a joke? Are you a man or a woman? Is this sacred or profane? And it wasn't either or. It was both. Right. So for everybody present, it was an irreverent, reverent experience. And for me, it gradually became a way to be me, to not be afraid and ashamed of being gay, to be simultaneously everything, and to be unabashedly spiritual on stage. So this and, and then after a few years of doing it, I kind of realized, I don't need Hadassah anymore. Ah, she was the scaffolding, the mask, the sacred gesture that allowed me to be me and say, by the time I turn 40, I can do this not in heels. I can do, though I do miss the heels, I can do this as me. <laughs> and so my spiritual queer interweaving was about the permission to become other and finding me to allow people to walk this talk between what is sacred and profane and sexy and holy and body and soul. And in that, in between, find divinity, find the sacred, find ourselves, find a conversation. So I am who I am because of those experiments. Experiments in drag. In drag, in, in, in two-spirit, in non-binary, in, in blurring. You know, my mother who's English, when she says queer, she means strange. Yeah. So it was about being a little strange. Non-traditional, non if you'd like. Off the cuff. Uh, I'm so glad that you said that, Rabbi, because that's kind of where I was going. Uh, I guess when you talk about queer informing my spirituality, it has allowed me to uh, break out of the box, per se. It has allowed me to uh, forget some of the norms and standards that people put on us because of tradition and because of ritualism. I tell people a lot of times church is not about Bible, it's about ritual and tradition. Yes. And so, um, you know, it helped me to break some of those things, but also it helped me to explore 
some other sides of myself that I was too reserved to explore in the traditional church. And so with that, I've been able to do some out-of-the-box things in church and do some out-of-the-box things in my own personal life uh, with my wife. Sometimes, you know, uh, I never would have worn a bow tie or a tie and a tuxedo uh, in the traditional sense mm-hmm. because, you know, then I was pastoring a traditional Baptist church. But now over here in my church, in Palmer Liberation Cathedral, the church that I started for queer people or LGBTQ people uh, who are allowed to express themselves in any way they decide to, as the bishop, I can express myself as say, the same. You know, and so I've tried different things, tried different looks that I never would have tried before. And so I find that I am enjoying that freedom. It's given me a liberation that I did not uh, have the opportunity to enjoy before. However, when you talk about my spirituality informing my queerness, I still feel convicted to have some type of uh, ritual when you talk about doing a my own personal Bible study, when I talk about doing my own worship in the mornings, having my own praise time and making sure I'm in some type of worship space each week. And so I feel that I still have to do that, whether gay, straight, non-binary, whether I'm not conforming, I still feel I have to do that because of my love and passion for my creator. However, I do feel that I can break out of the box and be somebody different. I don't have to conform to anybody because I have the liberation of uh, the queer informing the spirituality. It's really interesting because one of the, the, there's a theme between what you and the rabbi have said, which is that to some extent the queer experience has been about three things. One of them is this willingness to explore, yes. this willingness to experiment, mm-hmm. right? The second is a willingness to explore and experiment around issues, if you will, of gender and identity and sexuality, you know. And the third is a kind of playfulness, you know. I think when you speak of the profane, and the, it is a kind of playfulness that at times can shock and, and scandalize people. How dare they do this, you know. And, and all of that sort of weaves into this, this queer spiritual experience. Is that correct? Absolutely. You, you would agree? Absolutely. You, you've had some of that in your own life, Reverend Todd, right? I have. Um, Rabbi Amakai's bringing up the radical fairies um, resonates with me tremendously. Um, the earliest part of my spiritual journey, coming out of claiming agnostic and sometimes atheism um, as my, my belief system, um, I found myself involved with a group called Gay Spirit Visions. Um, we, we called ourselves fairies with jobs. Um, um, if you don't know the radical fairy movement, I, I encourage everyone to, to learn about Harry Hay because he was a pioneer in queer spirituality. Um, but Gay Spirit Visions does conferences, and I was a part of um, their, their council for several years. And they do conferences three times a year. And, and in addition to this piece of self-love that I had to work on, I also learned how to be in community with a group of, of other gay men. Um, in a, in a very different kind of setting, um, you know the 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 bar setting and and the the cruising mentality, um, to actually being in a place where we really looked and experienced one another as sacred, mm. um, w- was wonderful, and there was there was a place playfulness about it, a, a, a playfulness where we invited people to. 
um, to experience drag, whatever drag meant to them, um, you know, with the understanding. And, and, and one of my, my favorite people, I, I, think, I think it was Cherry Penetrata um, who, who said something like, we are, we are born naked and everything else is drag. Um, and we, we played with, with, with how we dressed and, and how we interacted. And, um, you know, and, and there is something wonderful about grabbing a wig and going to lunch. So life really is, part of this spiritual journey is learning how to play, mm-hmm. learning how to laugh, and, and, and learning how to love ourselves in that playtime. Um, I'll just say, I think my queerness set me free, in a way, from the shackles that my childhood had kind of placed on me. You know, growing up in, in the Christian church that I did, like, I was sort of taught, you know, I'm a sinner, I'm bad, like, I'm going straight to hell in a handbasket, and... So when I left that, my queerness pushed me away from that. My queerness said, no, this is who I am, so that can't be who I am. And so as I left that, I mean, I was distraught. My 20s were just like, just depression and anxiety and what do you do without God? Like, how do you fill that hole? You don't. But what happened in that is I stood more firmly in my queerness. It helped me actually find the true God, the true divinity, the true divine within all of us. And then, like, as I came to that space, it was like I began doing my shamanic work. I began doing, um, like you were saying, all kinds of different interfaith things and Wiccan things and all of these things that were like, oh, I can be all these things. And I always used to joke with my friends, anything my mom thought would be, like, from the devil, I loved it. Like, tarot cards, <laughs> astrology, you know, any, and it just hit home for me. It was like I came home. And so I think that's really what's interesting is looking back you know, and that's not an answer I even knew to say until you guys spoke was that it, this set me free because I knew that who I was could not be altered or changed because the universe, the divine had created this space in me. This, and like you were saying, it's a sacred thing, who I am. And now I think it informs me by holding that space. Um, I have a very unique opportunity to hold the divine feminine and the divine masculine in ways that most people don't have experience with. I, I knew what it was like to be raised as a girl and to be told this is what you are and I saw that oppression that happened for women and how they are held back and held down and now I am in this privileged space of being a white male and so I see a whole new world and I can say things that women can't say to their friends that are guys I can call people out and say whoa that doesn't work anymore and so I stepped into this whole new place and that's all informing you know my spirituality as well and that's what led me to seminary and you know, I love the irreverency. I really, my business card is going to say irreverent Reverend Reagan or Alex Reagan because I love it. You know, we, there is an irreverency to it and that's okay too. That can be sacred. It doesn't have to be serious all the time. It doesn't have to be just only this one way. Um, we can have fun and be light and be free and all of it as well. We don't have to be chained to it. So it's, it's sort of funny because maybe it is that part of the gift that we have as as queer men, women, and persons of faith, that we are expanding the circle of the sacred. You know, that we are, we're saying, wait, 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 even our, our irreverency, mm-hmm. right? All of a sudden expands the circle of what is sacred. You know, here at, at United Palace, we talk about everything being sacred. It can be desecrated too, but it is sacred. There is nothing unholy, if you will. Can we speak to that? Well, think about this moment, okay? It's 2019. A bunch of us are sitting here on stage. This was probably not possible a decade ago, certainly not five decades ago, certainly not whatever ancestry we bring, ethnically, religiously, politically. 
But here we are. And America is celebrating, or the world is celebrating Stonewall 50. We have so way more to go on basic human dignity in this city and country and world. And yet, we are in the middle of a paradigm shift because of feminism, because of globalism, because of the digital, and because of our queer eruption of, of rights and narrative. And that is impacting everything on so many levels. Religion-wise, I think it's not, you know, it's no secret that the world religions that we represent uh, in our Muslim family that's not here in person but here in spirit, Absolutely. that um, in, in some ways the, the Buddhist and the Zen and the Hindu, Sikh and other traditions, we are coming from patriarchy. We are coming from several thousand years of God is a male and the leaders are male and sexuality is a problem to be dealt with and the body is a vehicle for the spirit. I'll speak as a Jew. That's how I grew up. Mm-hmm. And so we're living in a moment where we're saying, well, what if not? What if it is both and? What if we can't expand the sense of the sensual and the sacred? What if the body can and should and is holy? And yeah, we mess up. The eros is a powerful force yes. we need to learn how to work with. Mm-hmm. And so the queer pain and being rejected and being shamed and being silenced HIV and AIDS and, and the, the, the homophobia and transphobia and hatred all over, we got many scars. But out of those scars, some of us and more of us are making a new tissue, a new embodied tissue of presence. So there's no question in my mind that the privilege of living in this paradigm shift and for us being as out as we are and as outstanding as we are is because A, we don't have choice, because otherwise it's the closet, right. or the cupboard, as my mother likes to call it, in her Britishness. When I came out, she's like, my, my son is now out of the cupboard. I'm like, <laughs> now I'm a teacup? But, um, but we're not there, and we're figuring out what is religion. What is the relationship between the religious and the spiritual and the embodied? And that's the big news here, whether you're queer or not. So the body, as many of us said, can be taken seriously as holy. And sex can be elevated and not shamed. And the divine gets redefined. Reverend Heather Shea, and we'll be back with more from our distinguished panel in just a minute on Open Heart Conversations from the United Palace of Spiritual Arts here in New York City. Please stay tuned. Practical Spirituality Positive Messages This is Unity Online Radio The Voice of an Awakening World You're listening to Unity Online Radio. This programming is made possible through the generous donations of listeners like you. If you feel inspired by this programming, we invite you to contribute. Go to unityonlineradio.org and click on Donate to make your offering today. 
Thank you for your support. Here's a Unity Teachable Moment with Reverend Blair Tabor from Unity San Diego, taken from a talk called Sacred Service, The Ultimate Spiritual Growth. Who we are and who we perceive ourselves to be as human beings is just such a small part of who we are as spiritual beings. You remember the phrase that I like, you know, Emily Cady says, God did not make you to be spiritual pygmies, but spiritual giants. You know, and do we live as if we're spiritual giants? No, we don't. We live, we live as if we're you know, weak human beings. You know, we're spiritual giants. We need to live that way in our lives. So we have to let go of the ego. It's a challenge because we spent so much energy and focus on, on our ego on dressing a certain way and talking a certain way and looking a certain way and aligning ourselves in certain ways to, to uphold that ego identity. But as we're willing to let that go, let it be permeable to spirit, then what we find is we're connected to that infinite oneness that is God. To find a Unity Church near you, visit unity.org. Take time out for you and join other like-minded souls looking to build their connection to spirit with the Unity at Sea Cruise in 2019. Experience a spiritual retreat at sea as you participate in a special program designed to help you on your individual journey of self-discovery. Deepen and explore your spiritual growth with Unity ministers and presenters as you enjoy exotic Caribbean ports of call. For all the details, go to unity.org slash unity at sea now to make a deposit by January 30th and save $100. Follow Unity Online Radio on Facebook and Twitter and stay up to date with all your favorite shows. Become a fan by clicking the like button. You can join in with a Facebook Live event or just like and share our post. Be the first to find out about any big special guests that might be appearing on the air or any events at Unity Village. We want to hear from you. Make sure you leave any questions or comments about Unity programming. Thanks for listening. If you're looking for cutting-edge health information, make sure you join Dr. Evelyn Higgins every Monday at 11 a.m. Central here on Unity Online Radio. On the Dr. Evelyn Higgins Show, you will look at your health from all angles, the physical, spiritual, emotional, and intellectual. Dr. Higgins is an internationally recognized expert on health and wellness with over 29 years in clinical practice. Join the show with your questions and comments. The doctor is in. Tune in every Monday on Unity Online Radio. Call now with your question or comment. 816-251-3555. That's 816-251-3555. Welcome back to Open Heart Conversations from the United Palace of Spiritual Arts. I'm Reverend Heather Shea with our special program for Pride Month on Queer Spirituality. I'm about 15 or 16 years old in Israel in a very religious household, and it dawns on me that the Bible, my Torah, and God, my God, and the Jewish law, halacha, basically has me outside the fence. Because by 15, I know what I'm into and what I'm fantasizing about, and it's a sin, and it's shame, and it's wrong. I will go to hell. Unclear if there's a hell in Judaism, but if the chances are I'll end up there. And I thought I'm an abomination. But it doesn't feel like an abomination. So I had a major crisis. God and Torah and law and family are right and I'm wrong. And a voice inside of me, a blessed voice said, "Uh uh-uh, you're right, they're wrong. Which led to a huge split from family and tradition and God and religion and everything for quite a while before I found my ways through grace and spirit and fairies and in between 
to say, no, my job is to talk back to the text. My job is to reinterpret the Bible. My job is to say that Jewish law evolves because humanity evolves. And the Bronze Age, when the Bible was written, is not going to dictate the 21st century. Amen. It can have a vote, but not a veto, right. as an important Jewish rabbi said. So let's reinvent and reimagine and reclaim the spiritual space and the place where we come together. And that, for me, is because of queerness. Right. And I think that is what is happening for so many of us in the world right now. And it's helping us redefine the very religious arena. And that's the resistance, by the way, that we're getting from so many of our comrades and, and, and leaders who are like, oh, no, 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 no. Because they see how big it is, how big the paradigm shift is. And if we can change sexuality and sex and gender and all those things, then we can change religion. And that's what's so scary is if that could evolve and it wasn't any longer just a church or just a building or just a place, not that it ever really was, but if it wasn't that anymore, that it became who we are and wherever we gathered, that that was where spirit was. And that could change the entire world and would change the whole world. And I think there's a fear in that. Absolutely. It's sort of an, it, one of the things that we talked about, it's my experience as a 56-year-old um, gay Latino man is that the answer that many members of my community gave to the struggle of being a spiritual and queer person was to say, I'm gonna be the queer person in the hell with the spiritual. I'm walking out of my church, my mosque, my synagogue, my temple of worship. I will have nothing to do with God because God has nothing to do with me. I, this is it. I'm, I'm turning my back on all this because it's the only way I can live a life of dignity. But today, there's something different taking place. And everyone send, sitting on this stage represents that. Today, we have LGBTQ people reimagining and reclaiming. Your brilliant words, Rabbi. Reimagining and reclaiming that space. And that is having a profound, profound effect on spirituality and religion as we know it. And that was the question that you raised when we were having a conversation before the program begins. How are we changing theology? How are we changing the spiritual and religious landscape? Not merely in this country, but throughout the world. Uh, Reverend Dr. Jose, I'm glad you said that because I was sitting thinking about how theology has to evolve with uh, all of the queerness uh, and queer spirituality that is in the world today. Uh, when I think about Reverend Dr. James Cone and the black liberation theology, people thought that that was heresy, people thought that he was crazy, thought this was too much. But the people's thinking actually evolved and eventually embraced that there is a black liberation theology. And then you had the women's uh, theology or womanist theology, you had the feminist theology. And so I believe we are constructing, those of us who are out and who are demonstrating um, our God and the God that lives within us, we are uh, actually the writers who are helping to construct this queer theology, or as we call it at my church, affirming theology. And so at some point, all of those who are rejecting it and thinking that we are uh, heretics, uh, at some point, we'll have to embrace uh, the theology that we're all writing about the God that we serve on today. 
I always tell the people at ELC, my uh, church in Maryland, that, uh, you know, it's okay to tell your mother who disagrees with you about your life and you serving God as a queer or LGBT Christian, all you have to do is tell her, that's not the God that I serve. The God that I serve is a loving God, is a God who affirms me, who is a God who created me just as I am and who knew I was going to be this way even before I traveled down the, uh, your womb and came into the earth. And so, you know, I've told people, sometimes you have to distinguish your theology from theirs. And so I believe that we're all writers today, uh, and we're constructing a new theology, which will be embraced, I don't know how many years from now, but at some point in the near future, it will be embraced by the people who are in the community and all across the world. And so I'm glad to know that I'm sitting amongst writers and uh, prolific writers who are helping to construct this new theology. And what does that new theology look like? How is it going to end? How is it going to affect? What kind of effect is that going to have in the world? Let me just add, I say for our uh, millennials, I believe it's going to free, liberate so many people uh, because uh, millennials oftentimes reject some of the traditionalism anyway. And so I believe it's going to help them to come back into the churches and help them to embrace the God that they felt that uh, did not welcome them, want them, or love them. Uh, and so there's going to be a, a major shift, I, I guess, amongst uh, people who will still be um, in the world after some of us who have hit 50 are uh, transitioning out. Absolutely. It's sort of funny. We think of theology as something that very, very, very smart people with PhDs do in a seminary, right? And they write, and they write usually stuff that nobody reads except other theologians. <laughs> I don't think that's theology, or at least it's a part of it, but it's the end part of it. I think theology is what's happening here in our individual lives. Your life is a theology, your life is a theology, in the sense that it is in our individual lives that we come to that struggle of what is God, what is spirit, what is dignity, what is, in, given the context of who I am, you know, where, is, where does all this... So in, in essence, uh, each of us is a theology, right? Yes. So how is our individual life story transforming the spiritual and religious landscape? A rabbi who did drag. A reverend who is a transgender man. A bishop who is a lesbian. A reverend who is a gay man. That's... A reverend who is a gay Latino man. Completely correct. So, so how is your theology, how is your life potentially transforming the religious and spiritual landscape? Well, my fiance and I have decided, we've been speaking, she's a musician and I speak around town. We live in a small town and I've been speaking at a lot of little spiritual centers and we love them and we have great you know, communities that we've started to build, but finally one day we just both went like, we still need more, we need something else, is there something missing and so one day we just sat down at home and decided to look at what we would create and what might it look like. And the word that came to us was unchurch because it's not church anymore. It's unchurch. It's like we're almost dismantling what it's been and creating something new in its place. And we're looking at starting something in sometime in the summer and that we just, we've created a logo, we've got some stuff going. And I think for us, that's what really came out of it was that we want to like recreate something new, um, but 
every person in town we've mentioned, we're going to start a thing. It's called Unchurched. People's eyes light up. Like, ooh, what? I don't know what that is, but I want to come to that. I haven't been to church in years, but I want to come to that. And I think that was kind of my thinking. Like, we want to bring people back. For me, for the trans community, I've tried to get involved. There's a good-sized campus of a university in the town I live in, at least 25,000 students. And I've tried to get involved with their trans and LGBT communities, and they don't want spirituality. I mean, I'm friends with one of the kids. I said, I'd love to come. I will gladly come talk, but I, I'm a reverend. I want to talk about spirituality. It's like my life. It's the core of who I am. And they're like, no, we can't go there. We're not ready to go there. I spoke here at United Palace last summer, and a friend of mine was like, I haven't set foot in the church in years, but I've come to see you speak. I mean, this is an opportunity for us to open up these spaces and create some brand new thing, whatever we call it. Um, because there are just so many people out there, and it's not just the queer people, it's like people who are more liberal, it's people who are maybe feminist, the, the patriarchy has just pushed them out the door um, in, in similar ways, and it's, you know, I think we are creating and writing this new story and writing this, and it is our lives, it's what we live, um, and that's maybe what attracts people. Like, when they see us living our lives and coming out and being happy and knowing that we can be truly ourselves, they're like, ooh, what are you doing in your life? Like, I want some of that. So let's realize that we are in the middle of a crisis. And I, I'm not an alarmist. We're also in the middle of a blessed moment of many, many privileges. The crisis is a crisis of faith in this country and in the world because of the rigid religious systems that have pushed so many away for so many reasons. Because the God that we inherited is a transcendent God that's up there in heaven judging us, a conditional, often masculine God. Mm -hmm. That's how God is depicted in so many of the monotheistic traditions anyway. And therefore, many of us are in a crisis of not having a place for our soul, for spiritual practice, for presence, for intimacy with ourselves, with our loved ones, with others. I believe the largest growing religion in the United States is 12-step, right? People are coming on our knees to find the force that makes for salvation, the power that's bigger than self, and we're a little allergic to the word God. But that is what we're looking for. And if I'm talking about my many friends and brothers in the gay community for whom meth is an addiction that is a killing addiction, what they're really looking for, what we're looking for is spirit. Correct. And intimacy and connection. Mm -hmm. So there's a crisis. There are crises. And so the question is, how can this help? How can theology not be some, you know, treatise, but a daily affirmation of I'm worthy, I'm sacred, I have a language, I have a vocabulary, a community, a bunch of scaffolding to help me when my heart breaks and when shift happens. And so, with, we're, so that's what we're reinventing, I think. My congregation in New York City is called Lab Shul. And we started a few years ago. It's an experimental, everybody-friendly, artist-driven, God-optional community. And we call it God-optional because people are terrified of the word God. So we're saying, believe whatever you want. It's a metaphor. Let's play. And that permission, which is very much like unchurch, is whimsical but profound because people are allowed to experiment with an imminent sense of the divine in our body, not out there and to slowly rebuild the safety net of a spiritual vocabulary that is resonant and helpful for our complicated lives. And so we're rebuilding 
not only what is religious vocabulary, but what is the divine. And I think the divine we grew up with is no longer that which we feel. We've all said it, right? I, you know, I probably need more than water to go down the conversation of when I close my eyes, who am I talking to? But it's not a white guy with a beard, no matter how sexy I think that is. That's not my <laughs> sense of divinity. And I think for many of us, we are like, oh my God, it, it, it's different. Mm -hmm. It's non-gendered. And we're not inventing this. We are reclaiming this. As, a, as somebody grew up in Judaism, I'm going back in the archaeology of rereading the Bible and pre-Bible and seeing that the religion we inherited had already erotic, same-sex, queer, non-binary metaphors for humanity and divinity that have been repressed and covered up by generations of scholars and rabbis and ministers and popes and imams and people afraid of the body. So we're not reinventing. We're reclaiming and rebranding. And that's exciting. I, I, I think that in this reclaiming um, and, and in looking at the people that are attracted to unchurched, to God optional, that part of the, this, this theology that we're reclaiming and, and, and rewriting is looking at healing. I think that's one of the, the big things that we all share as queer people is that we had to heal. And, and I think that's what is still even pushing people away from church, from God, um, is healing. And, and even then attracting people into the 12 steps is because it is, 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 it's that way to find your wholeness, to, to discover your wholeness, because you're not broken. Mm -hmm. You are already whole, and, and it, is, it is a framework that helps you reclaim that and rediscover what is already there. And that's the, the kind of reclaim that we're building that is so important. But heal is a very scary four-letter word. Absolutely. Why do Absolutely. You say that? I mean, I think a lot of people are, for, I think it's interesting, 12-step is the largest growing religion in a way, because I think a lot of people are terrified to do the work. They're scared to go into it. They're scared. I mean, everything we do in society is like, get back on your phones, watch Netflix, like, go out and drink with your friends. Like, we numb. Distract distract whatever we can do. We're afraid to stop and look. People are like, I can't meditate because I can't get my brain to stop. It's because you're afraid of what's going to be inside of there when you stop, when you do actually stop. And I think it's interesting too, you said, you know, like all the, you know, people, we're all looking for God. We're all looking for connection. The irony I find is that all of the spiritual groups where the hatred kind of does exist, they're against the LGBT people or racism or any of that stuff, like they claim to have found God, but they're also seeking God. They're also have not found the God. They don't know, like they think they know what it is, but they're also missing it. And I think that's why they lash out in those ways because they're also missing that void inside of themselves and they're looking for someone to blame for not feeling like they have connection. And maybe the difference that we're in is that we've, we had to do the internal work. We had to go inside and heal. We had to fix ourselves. Nobody else was waiting to pick us up off the curb when someone knocked us down. So we had to do the work. So we have, and we're scary then because we have pushed the edge. We have pushed the boundaries. And I think that that pressures other people to maybe say, oh, I got to up my game a little. Maybe turn Netflix off and meditate or pray or find unchurch or, you know, 
what this is in a new way, you know, what my religion or spirituality can be if it's not the old thing. One of the things that helped me was I had to come to, I think, what Oprah Winfrey likes to call an aha moment. Right. So when I was in my doctoral program, um, one of the uh, professors, my faculty advisor, Dr. Dwight Hopkins at the University of Chicago, said to me, um, I, I was one who grew up in traditional Baptist church, and I quoted and parroted all that the pastors and people in the church and community had taught me. So he challenged me, and he had already gotten a revelation, and he totally had a different belief from what the Baptist church or traditional Protestant churches teaches oftentimes. And so um, when he challenged me, uh, out of respect for him, I had to go back and uh, review those things that he had said that were different from what I had always been taught. And it wasn't until I began to think about those things that I came to an aha moment and was thus able to evolve and get a different understanding and come to that level of healing and begin to do my own work. And then at that point, I was able to bring others to the same aha moment and then help them to be able to do their own work and get liberated. That was one of the reasons I felt I had to name my church Empowerment Liberation because I wanted to liberate people who had the same thinking and had the same teachings. I always call it the miseducation of the Christian. Uh, They had the same (laughs) teachings that I had. And so I think in order for us to be able to uh, bring people to that space, I love that unchurch, in order to unchurch them or deprogram them, we have to help them to arrive at that aha moment. And then at that point, they'll be open to hearing the other things that can help them to liberate and then be free to, if they choose to do drag, be free if they choose to uh, walk in their authenticity and transition as a transgender uh, male or female, or, you know, put on the bow tie and tie or tuxedo jacket or whatever it is that they need to do to be who they are fully. And so I believe that we have to help them to come to that aha moment and then to be able to uh, do the work and to experience the healing. And then they'll be able to express themselves in their true authenticity. It's sort of interesting because this, this conversation is reminding me of a conversation I had when I was in seminary. Do you think that we're here trying to convert people to believe in something other than what they believe in? What are we doing as queer spiritual leaders? I, I'm not a big fan of conversion, not when it comes to <laughs> conversion therapy that we know right? does not work. Or to, you know, in the Jewish faith, converting others for Jews was never a popular strategy, mostly for political reasons. Mm -hmm. But uh, no, live and let live in the deepest way, but respect and let respect. I think our strategic challenge at this moment in the 21st century is to claim our space with integrity, with pride, with authenticity, with with humility, and with courage, and to know that we're going to be dancing different kind of dances in the big ballroom. And that's okay. Pope Francis is doing fantastic things for Catholicism, and there are some progressive Muslim voices, there are more liberal Jews and liberal Protestants doing great things, while at the same time, patriarchy is fighting back. So we're not going to say, you're wrong, we're just going to say, what does it mean to lean into love more? And I'll do it in my place, and you'll do it in your place, every once in a while we'll meet in a clearing in the forest. Uh, And I think the more we focus on the light, 
the more the so-called dark will be enlightened. But fighting or converting, I, I just don't think that's a good strategy. It's sort of interesting. I'm reminded of the um, Christian scriptures where in the original Christian church, what really turned on people was their love, right? People looked into the Christian community and said, look how these people love each other. Wow, I want to know more about that. And can we as queer spiritual people, as queer spiritual leaders, as allies and family and friends of, of of our community... How can we create a space that is so loving and so powerful that it, it is transformative, you know? And it's, it's reclaiming that space. What are the spiritual leaders sitting up here doing to reimagine and reclaim that space? Let me say, um, I can only talk about what we're doing at the Power Liberation Cathedral in uh, Maryland, well, in D.C. Um, one of the things I uh, stress to the leadership at my church, as well as those who are uh, members of the congregation is anybody who walks through the door uh, needs to understand that God loves them and we are the vessels in which they can feel that and so they need to feel that on Sundays, Wednesdays, whatever days we're here but also knowing the pain, the hurt, uh, the demonization of so many people in our community we never want them to experience that in God's house and so we want to make sure that when people come into these doors, into this space, they feel the love and uh, peace of God. And when they go out, they want to, they should also feel that same thing. And when they come back the next week, we want them to know that wasn't just a show we put on. You're going to feel that every time you come through these doors. And the message is always a message of love. It's always a message of hope. It's a message of encouragement. So we don't preach, I don't preach fire and brimstone because I had enough of that when I was a child growing up in the Baptist church. So I'm not telling anybody to go into hell, not telling anybody, you know, there's a fire waiting for you, any of that kind of stuff. And also we do things that let people know we're more than just the, um, in the four walls of the church. We let people know that, you know, uh, we're the hands of God in the community. And so we give out clothing, uh, we give out food, we help with food kitchens, those types of things, and senior projects, senior programs, and we're opening a wellness center uh, at the end of this week that will help with the mental health, that will help with the violence, violence prevention, intervention. So we're doing those things in the community so people will know that we're more than just uh, in the four walls of the church, and we want you to feel loved in every area. And so I think it's important that the message, for one, is a message of love and hope, but also that the people are not sitting looking as if I don't want you sitting next to me. I'm judging you because you say that you're a woman, but I can tell that there's something different about you. And, you know, because you're expressing yourself maybe as a more masculine, identified lesbian, I don't think you should be in this church. We cannot have people sitting in the pews judging and mistreating their sister and brother when they come in. And so there are some things that people have to feel when they come into the church and when they uh, experience the church. And I think that that goes a very long way. Um, I love all of that. And yes, 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 yes. Um, our bottom line at Lab Show, my bottom line as a teacher, as a spiritual thinker, is I don't do what I do to make uh, Judaism better in the world or to make people better Jews. I use the Jewish technology and Jewish wisdom to make people more present, to make sure we are more human. 
really living up to our human beingness in divine image as we are, born this way. So I think people in my community and others are encouraged to keep remembering that we are in divine image, loved as we are, that we are perfect and imperfect as we are. We have spiritual, intellectual work to do. We are here to fix the world, and we won't do it until we fix ourselves, lovingly and patiently. And the bottom line is be a human being, be a partner in co-creation. And when people feel that, regardless of who they are and where we come from, it's a reminder. It's a, it's a rejoiner. Right. And, and it's about both and. It's always about both and. People always laugh at me. That's my little thing. If I'd ever get a tattoo, that's probably what it's going to say, except I can decide which one. But it's about both and. You've been listening to Open Heart Conversations, exclusive dialogues and musical interludes with teachers and performers from spiritual traditions around the world, recorded at the United Palace of Spiritual Arts in New York City. To find out what's happening at the United Palace or to attend an event, please visit unitedpalace.org. Open your heart, expand your mind, change the world, and join us next month. Thanks for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Sometimes you feel so alone and overwhelmed, you don't know where to turn. These days, it seems like there is no end to our problems. We invite you to connect with Silent Unity, the 24-hour prayer ministry, where someone is waiting to pray with you right now. Since 1890, Silent Unity has always been there. No judgment or dogma, just someone affirming the best for you. Call 816-969-2000 today. You can also connect online at unityprayervigil.org.